The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Tonight on the program, we're going to talk about the myths, the truths, the science behind aphrodisiacs, those substances or foods that are said to uh, help us in the bedroom increase uh, increase libido. I'm sure many people have seen ads for pills or things that claim they can bring the passion back into your sex life. But I'm interested, do you believe there is such a thing. Do you believe in aphrodisiacs? And maybe we could do a little survey tonight. What foods would you say are sexy foods or have some impact on how you feel in a sexual manner? So we'll discuss that and more. But first... Calling's not the only way to connect. The inbox is easy and always open at 514-800. Remember, you can also email me your questions to laurie at drlaurie.com anytime. So this one was left uh, from last night in the in the board. Oh, before I do this, I want one of our listeners uh, sent me an email and asked that we all send prayers to her friend Marty. So Marty, our thoughts are uh, with you tonight. I've got a sex question. I am a 55-year-old man married. I can make love to my wife, but can't reach orgasm. I have no problem with my erections, and she is very satisfied. I just can't reach orgasm. Why is this? So my question would be, and I, I need a few things like to, to explore here. Does that mean that there's no ejaculation with masturbation? Is there masturbation? Um, maybe it's possible that as you get older, you need more recovery time. You don't need to ejaculate as much. So if you had sex two days prior and you, uh, ejaculated, maybe if you have sex the two days later, you may not have the same need. So you can, so I need to have like a little bit more detail. Are we talking about a primary condition? Meaning every time you have sex, there's never an orgasm. Every time you masturbate, there's never an orgasm. Is there a feeling of an orgasm, but nothing comes out? That could be a different condition. So it's never just like one answer. We have to do a a kind of an assessment of, of what's going on here to figure out what the actual uh, causes. So uh, either you can send me more details about your situation, you can reach out to me by email, or you can have a consultation, a private consultation to try and figure out what is actually uh, going on. All right, here's a, a, an email. I've been listening to your show on occasion for the better part of 10 years now. This message does not come easy and I get emotional just thinking about it. Last night's subject was not my cup of tea, we talked about water sports, but the poem you read about love has been haunting me. I was married for 17 years, but my husband developed a mental problem that led to our divorce. I love him still and stood by him and in most part I still do. He was a gentle, kind man, rarely raised his voice, but it changed sometime in the 12th year of marriage. At first, I noticed him getting easily frustrated and sometimes forgetful, and he would throw things. 
I first thought it was a work problem setting him off. He was in a high-stress job. It became increasingly worse, and finally he agreed to go to the doctor. After months of tests, the diagnosis was made. He was diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder. At first, therapy and medication helped, but it was short-lived. I tried. I really tried. But I was being beaten and sometimes feared uh, for my life. I know it is not who he is, but he became unpredictable, and I am not getting going to get, get into details, but I had to protect myself and my children. I could have had him arrested countless times, but he needed help, not handcuffs. This brings me to you. Many times on your show, you talked about abuse, its causes and possible resolutions, but you did mention sometimes there is an end point. I messaged you a few times and your suggestions were helpful, but that was before the diagnosis and his condition worsening. He did not fight our divorce at all. He knew, and the kids had to stop living like we were. I'm not sure what would have happened had I not learned so much from the shows on abuse, but I'm sure you saved my kids and, and I needless abuse. The poem last night spoke of how different love is for everyone, and I'm certain that poem was written by a woman who has felt pain both in her in heart and mind. It was actually written by a man who is the, the passion poet. I still love my ex-husband, and I'm supporting him a little financially, but it is a different kind of love now. He is doing better, but when medication stops working, it starts all over again, and they try a different medication until something works. I never thanked you, so I thank you now. Please, Dr. Laurie, shows on abuse are too far and in between. It's time for another. And if you can just help one person the way you help me, it is well worth the hour. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I'm, I'm so sorry for what you're going through. That's a, a, a completely, it's, it's a kind of hell uh, on earth, really. But just for people to know, um, intermittent explosive disorder is um, basically somebody who has sudden repeated episodes of impulsive, aggressive, violent or angry verbal outbursts, but that are grossly exaggerated. In other words, they're not in proportion to the situation. Things like uh, potential like road rage, domestic uh, abuse, throwing or breaking objects, uh, temper tantrums, those can all be signs of intermittent uh, explosive uh, disorder. Obviously, it causes uh, significant distress, both on the person who then regrets their actions after, but of course it impacts their relationships, their work, their schooling, whatever it is, and can have legal consequences as you can, uh, you can imagine. So, um, they say that the severity may decrease, uh, with age, but treatment is, uh, is necessary. So, and there's other things that go with that. So sometimes aggressive episodes are accompanied by increased energy, racing thoughts, tremors, palpitations, chest tightness, that kind of thing, uh, and can lead to some very dangerous uh, behaviors and put other people in danger. So uh, leaving, which I'm sure was probably the hardest question, the hardest decision, I should say, uh, to have made, you... You had to save yourself. You had to get out of harm's way, and I and I think that 
you had to think of your kids and yourself um, before anything else. And it's hard because you love the person, the person has a diagnosis, they're trying to help themselves. But if it keeps going and you're in danger, as hard as that decision is to make, sometimes that is what you must uh, must do. So I think you're, I'm putting this on the, the roster of, sh- of potential topics, but I, I want to, yeah, you're right. We should talk a little bit more about that. And especially how hard it is to leave a partner who suffers from mental illness. It be, and people have said like, would you leave a partner who, uh, you know, has developed cancer? Would you leave a partner, you know, for other, other conditions that are more physical and less psychological. But again, what are the costs when it comes to a mental health issue, sometimes to the family, to the couple, it's obviously it's controversial. Like there, it's not, it's the hardest decision to make, but sometimes it has to be the decision. So maybe we can focus on that, even though that's a really difficult, uh, topic to address. It's like, how do I, how do I leave this kind of uh, relationship or how can I, how do I feel about leaving a person who I know is, uh, is mentally, uh, mentally ill. So maybe that's something that we'll put on the back burner and, Uh, maybe address uh, sometime in the future. This is Passion on CJD 800. So do you believe in aphrodisiacs? What do you think when you see ads for pills or supplements or things that claim they can bring the passion back into your sex life. Why do you think so many people buy into it? It's a multi-million dollar uh, industry. So I just want to do a little survey tonight too. What what foods do you consider to be sexy foods that might stimulate the senses maybe, right? So when we're talking about aphrodisiacs, what are we talking about? We're talking about a substance, any substance that is said to, uh, or well, that enhances sex drive basically, or, uh, sexual pleasure. Most aphrodisiacs also heighten other aspects of sensory experiences like sight, touch, smell, taste, hearing. That's why it could be something that you relate to that might affect all these other, uh, senses. And all this contributes, can contribute to sexual arousal and pleasure. Of course, the belief in substances, in things, in ingestibles, uh, in aphrodisiacs is nothing new. We are looking at this, you know, we, they were first sought out as a, a remedy for, lots of, uh, sexual anxieties, uh, especially about, uh, performance or inadequate, inadequate performance and, and fertility and things like that. Uh, procreation was an important moral and religious issue and aphrodisiacs were sought way back when to ensure both male and female potency. So it's about potency as well. Uh, As early as 5,000 years ago, the ancient Egyptians were producing herbal aphrodisiacs to stimulate sexual appetite and prolong 
performance. The ancient Greeks and Romans also wrote of effective aphrodisiacs for both men and women, uh, both as perfume uh, and as uh, massage oils. And then certain foods or substances came to be seen as uh, aphrodisiacs through folklore, basically, not really fact or science or anything uh, like that. But there have been studies uh, that are in our lifetime that have been done and are still being done to actually debunk debunk a lot of the um, the myths around aphrodisiacs. According to the Food and Drug Administration, the uh, reputed sexual effects of so-called aphrodisiacs are based on folklore not fact. That's according to the FDA right there. In 1989, the agency declared that there is no scientific proof that any over-the-counter aphrodisiacs work to treat sexual dysfunction. That doesn't mean there's no placebo effect sometimes or what have you, but this is what they say. Several principles help demystify some cultural views about aphrodisiacs. It's easy to imagine how the, for example, how the sex organs of animals such as goats and rabbits known for their procreativeness have achieved their esteemed status as love aids in some cultures. Eating sex organs of animals that are seen as, you know, you know how you, the expression do it like a, a rabbit, you know, they can have many, many experiences or, or many orgasms or many partners, whatever it is. Uh, and so in some cultures, eating the, their sex organs thought to uh, instill that, uh, bring that up in, in humans. Of course, there is no evidence of that. Uh, spicy foods, chilies, curries, things like that have also been viewed as aphrodisiacs because of their physiological effects. What happens when you eat spicy foods? You get a raised heart rate, you sweat sometimes. Those can, are also similar to some of the physical reactions that we experience uh, during uh, sex. And then there are some foods that have been over the years glorified as aphrodisiacs just based on their rarity and their uh, mystery, which has created an entire um, illegal a market of, of certain things like rare animal parts, for example, in certain uh, countries that get sold to make these, I don't know, supplements or, or whatever uh, it is. Uh, chocolate was once considered the ultimate aphrodisiac, but then that, that was when it was rare, when chocolate wa wasn't so easy to get to. The reputation wore off as it became obviously more commonly um, available. Someone asked about Spanish fly. Any uh, truth to that? Well, Spanish fly is a poison and can actually poison you more than, than anything. But I remember uh, growing up in my teen years that Spanish fly was around like, and it would make people sick. It didn't, it didn't do anything but make people sick. So that's something that you have to uh, think about it. someone says oysters a James Bond favorite worked for him well oysters have zinc and uh, zinc again is said to 
increase uh, um, uh, increase blood flow and things like that. But how many oysters do you think you'd have to eat to have that? That's part of the things. It's very hard to study that kind of thing. So a lot of it is mostly anecdotal. And if you think about oysters, think about what oysters look like. Think about the texture of oysters. Like there's something sexual about oysters just by looking, feeling them. Not forget about ingesting them, but just uh, that. Texter writes in, I'm not a believer in aphrodisiacs, but if you put an easy melt chocolate on someone's nipple, things can take a turn for the best. Isn't that what the drawer in, in your nightside table is for? Now I'm I'm with you on that. I think you can make food sexy. So strawberries, melted chocolate. If you love chocolate, some people hate chocolate. Uh, Of course, these foods can be added to lovemaking and and just having fun with food. Not all foods are fun to, to play with in the bedroom, clearly, but what is the what is the power of these foods? It isn't what's in the food. It's what the food can represent. It's what it does to a particular person uh, and how it triggers arousal uh, for them. Uh, I know tons of people that claim to any seafood turns them on for some reason. Uh, any seafood or just ones that look like uh, genitalia? <laughs> I always laugh. I once posted a picture. I was at a restaurant and I used to love mussels. I'm, I'm a, I eat plant-based now, so I've been a vegan for quite some time. But before that, I loved seafood and mussels was one of my go-to. And I remember, and, and mussels always to me look like vulvas, like so clearly. And when they're really big, I once posted a picture of one. It was like, people were like, what, what is this a picture of exactly? It looked so much like, uh, like a vulva. So is it exciting because it looks like that? Or is it what's contained in the seafood? Cause there's no evidence to suggest that just eating seafood can just, uh, increase your desire just like that. But in the past, anything that looked like genitals, uh, was thought to possess like sexual power. So like the muscles that I just talked to you, or like there's this thing called the law of similarity. And that was the reasoning that if I ingest, uh, something, some food that looks like genitalia, it will give me some, uh, sexual prowess. Somebody else says canned whipped cream strategically used. You bet. Uh, again, that can be uh, quite sexy. But some of these examples, by the way, of the um, the resembling the genitalia, ginseng, uh, rhinoceros horn, which again, you know, sold still to this day uh, because people still have these beliefs in some countries where uh, people will hunt for the rhinoceros horn and sell them at a crazy price. Uh, oysters also is... Um, an example. That's something else. Uh, let's see. Uh, there hasn't been any proof, by the way, not for ginseng, not for rhinoceros horns, not even for oysters that have such a dramatic impact on uh, human sexual um, interaction. But have there been foods uh, to that have been proven to affect sexual appetite? 
it's really difficult to tell because of the uh, placebo effect. The placebo effect is if you give someone something and you tell them, like if I, if I give you a pill and I tell you this pill is going to increase your sexual appetite, uh, and the belief, and I give you a sugar pill, it's got nothing in it, but that belief alone can have an impact. So that's a big stumbling block when you're trying to, uh, determine, uh, whether something, is it because of what it contains, like the, the makeup of this food, or is it the thought that this food is doing this to you? So how do you tease, uh, those two things out? And truly the, the mind is the most potent aphrodisiac there is. Think about that. Your mind has that much, um, power, lots of power. So coming up, I want to hear about yours. Do you have any foods that you think uh, are sexy or uh, increase uh, arousal uh, for you? We can we can talk about the the proof. We could talk about other things too that are commonly used, like alcohol, weed, things like that that are said to for some people to be uh, aphrodisiacs that are not uh, pill formed, but found in the natural world, I guess. So we can talk uh, about that and then how to naturally raise your libido that maybe doesn't involve anything, ingesting anything. So we can talk about that as well. Plus your stupid sex story. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. So this story is a stupid person sex story, frankly. So again, I, I love these stories that I find on uh, subreddits because they're just uh, what what people will do. It's 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 astonishing to me. Anyway, this is what this uh, poster wrote. Yesterday I was at my boyfriend's house and I ran out of tampons, so I asked him if he could go to the store with me and get some. He said yes. Keep in mind I'm cramping very bad at this point and I'm fatigued out of my mind. So while we were driving there, I asked him if he would go inside for me because it was pouring down rain and like I said, I was cramping. He flat out told me no and I kind of laughed it off because I honestly thought he was joking. So when we got to the Walgreens, I asked him if he was going to go get the tampons or did he want me to and he said, I'll get it with an attitude and went in. At this point, I'm just glad I didn't have to go inside because I don't think I could have done it. So he FaceTimes me inside and I show him which ones to get. And after he checked out, he got back in the car and gave them to me. So this is when I realized he was legit mad at me. I told him, thank you. He didn't say anything. I told him I loved him like five times. He didn't say anything. When we got back to his place, his mom was there and she asked me what was wrong with him because he walked straight into the house, didn't hold the door open for me like he usually does, and didn't speak to her either. And I was just like, I think he's mad because he had to buy me tampons. So fast forward to that night. I'm starting to cramp bad again, which made me nauseous and I felt horrible. He was laying next to me watching Netflix and I asked him if, uh, if he could rub my stomach for me. Once again, he flat out told me no. I kept asking like, was uh, practically begging him to rub my stomach and he kept saying no 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 at this point i'm pissed off because i know he's still mad over some dumb uh dumb ache tampons i politely turned over my side away from him and watched youtube to distract me from the pain the next morning he got got up for work uh 
and I got up too to go back to my house. We literally didn't say a word to each other, and usually when we leave, we always kiss each other, but this didn't happen. Next thing I know, I get a text from him saying that we should break up because he thinks our relationship has ran its course, and he won't answer the phone when I call or text me back. Um, anyway, this is, this isn't the first time he's gotten mad over something so small and petty. What do people think? Well, (laughs) everybody pretty much said, uh, your ex-boyfriend did you a favor. The headline was woman stunned after her boyfriend breaks up with her because he had to buy her tampons. Could you imagine that? Yep, that's it. Anyway, let's uh, let's continue our discussion on aphrodisiacs. Are they a thing? Now, some people think yes. Other people say uh, no. Uh, but so far, like if, if you look at most of the scientific evidence, they say there isn't really any. It's anecdotal. It's subjective. It's very hard to scientifically measure uh, sexual stimulation because of this whole placebo effect. Uh, another obstacle is that some drugs or, or, uh, supplements or what have you, um, may not actually have specific sexual effects, but they might just change a person's mood. So by changing a mood, you're also, you can, they can seem to be an aphrodisiac. So something like alcohol, uh, alcohol has been called a social, uh, lubricant, right? Uh, so moderate drinking can be, can seem like a, a, a sexual enhancer. Of course, too much does exactly, uh, the opposite. In fact, this texture writes, I wanted to share my experience growing older has changed what I do not do anymore before engaging in sexual activity. Recently, I hooked up with a guy I met at a a gay club 30 years ago. Back then, we danced all night, drank lots of alcohol, had enough energy at the end of the night for some wild sex. Our recent meeting up before the pandemic, we spent time at my home listening to the music from back then while enjoying some wine. We tried making out, but neither could maintain an erection. We ended up falling asleep in our arms for the rest of the night. We hooked up again a week later, had a great sexual release without the alcohol. So... Uh, Yes, the alcohol could absolutely do something. Uh, I agree. Give me a good old bloody Caesar with Clamato juice. It almost feels like an aphrodisiac. Well, for some people, yes, it can work, but it's not, it just lowers the inhibitions, makes you more relaxed, which seems like it's an aphrodisiac, but in fact, it's happening to your brain at, uh, at that point. Sounds like just pheromones, just a waste of money. And we had talked about pheromones, which again, no proof in humans. So anybody trying to sell you anything like that, definitely don't buy. Uh, Just watching a woman with a popsicle or eating a banana can heighten a guy's arousal in seconds, right? Uh, Another text writes, if you need to kill an animal to get it up, I pity you. Um, Agreed. I think it's terrible. And as another person says, it was a big thing recently on people cutting off shark fins and discarding the shark because it's supposed to be an aphrodisiac. And it hasn't just been shark fins, but many other um, other things that have been, be- that are believed to be an aphrodisiac, like I said, the, ri- the rhino horns, etc. So imagine killing 
an animal to take one small part of that animal for that purpose. It's one thing if it's for sustenance and, and what have you, but imagine for that purpose. So I agree with the texture that it's pitiful to have to kill an animal uh, to be able f uh, for that. But I'm telling you, there is a market out there and it's, uh, it's scary. Anyway, there's this dietitian at Johns Hopkins who clearly says there hasn't been any conclusive evidence that any of these foods, she's talking about dark chocolate, chili peppers, and raw oysters, work as aphrodisiacs. There's no uh, proof to it. Uh, those, uh, She says it's all bunk. The only sure way to increase libido is to exercise and eat right. But then there was this other person, he's an Italian uh, psychiatrist by the name of Willie Passini, who says he's researched foods that have, uh, he calls romantic uh, properties. He discovered, again, these are during animal experiments, not human. This is it's much more difficult to do human experiments, that maize, a type of corn, contains a compound called tryptophan. And he believes that tryptophan uh, combines with other chemicals in the brain to act as an aphrodisiac. So he recommends also uh, to intensify passion that you add sparkling wine, fruit, and chocolate uh, to, uh, your meals. Now fruit, other people have said fruits too, but mostly because of their, uh, erotic symbolism, like apricots, peaches, look at the emoji. One of the, the emojis is a peach, an eggplant, right? Those are the ones that, um, are, have sexual, uh, meaning. So all of those things were considered, part of either mating rituals or things that you should ingest, but of course, no proof in any of, of those, uh, those things. But coming up, I'll tell you about some foods too, that you could eat for better sex, according to the American Heart Association and what they actually, uh, recommend. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. We're talking about uh, supplements, aphrodisiacs, things that have been known to or have thought to improve uh, sex, improve desire, commonly known as aphrodisiacs, known after the Greek goddess Aphrodite. Uh, one texter writes, I love a good fondue with chocolate Toblerone and bananas, strawberries, grapes. Yes. And when you think about a romantic evening, I don't know, chocolate fondue seems to be a part of that, right? To me, it always, when I think of like a fondue like that, I, I think it's going to be a sexy night. <laughs> so it has that effect. So yes, but it's not necessarily the actual foods, although they say some dark chocolate is uh, is helpful but let's look at actually what are the foods that we could eat that have some scientific backing to support uh to to have better sex really but i mean some of this is going to be completely completely logical to you because uh, it, it is to all of us just having a healthy diet we want what do we need for good sex? What do we want? What do we need for good erections? We need good circulation. We need stamina. How do we get there? We have to follow a heart healthy diet. 
So if you're not in a, in a good, healthy place, if your cholesterol is through the roof and you have high blood pressure and you're uh, very overweight, and that is not heart healthy. And that is going to have an impact on your stamina and on your sexuality in general. So we want to have a good circulatory system, good circulation that improves our sexual response, both in men and women, blood flows to the genitals. That's important, right? So we want to have a good heart that will be good for your sex life. So according to the American Heart Association, this is what they recommend. And any dietitian will tell you, you can look this up. This is logical fruits and vegetables, obviously whole grains, fiber, healthy oils, uh, nuts, legumes, seafood. Uh, these are things that uh, obviously can help. Now there is, there has been research on uh, people who have studied the Mediterranean diet, which follows similar lines to the American Heart Association. And what they found is that people with metabolic syndrome who followed the diet had fewer problems with erectile dysfunction uh, than those who uh, did not, right? They also uh, like foods like avocados, which is a good fat, uh, asparagus, nuts, seafood, and fruit. They've been associated with better better sex, even in, in some in science and in traditional uh, medicine as well. So avocados, it's interesting because avocados have a history. Um, they were, uh, they were um, a term uh, for testicles, basically. So in, in the, for the, from the Aztecs, in the Aztec language, it's a term for testicles. So it's, again, resembling, you know, resembling your uh, genitals. But there has been research done <clears throat> that looked at people who ate avocados who had a reduced... Uh, risk of metabolic syndrome, which is a risk factor for uh, erectile dysfunction. It, somebody asks, it, is it true that certain foods can help in a similar way to Viagra medication? I think we're look, we may be looking at the same site. No, there are no foods that do the same thing as Viagra. There is nothing that can increase your blood flow the way that Viagra can increase your blood flow. We're talking about trying to maintain healthier circulation overall. And these studies were done on people who already had problems. So it was able, they were able to increase circulation in those uh, people. So men with this metabolic, uh, metabolic syndrome. So there are really, and remember that Viagra is about blood flow. It's not about libido. It can't do that. Um, so, uh, again, you have to, if you're having erectile dysfunction, clearly making sure that you are healthy overall is important, but if you need that extra help and you've had all, you were tested for everything and you try to follow a healthy diet and exercise and you need the Viagra, that will help the Viagra. And there's four, there's four different medications that your doctor can discuss with you, uh, but that will increase um, the blood flow. But there's nothing that matches that. That's 
what's interesting uh, with that. Of course, the other element too that has been studied, and we talked about it in oysters, it's just the amounts that you need, right? It's zinc. Zinc regulates levels of uh, testosterone. And we have testosterone in women, testosterone in uh, in men. Uh, zinc is found in other, uh, in other foods as well. It's not just in oysters, probably the most in oysters, uh, but in other things things like pine nuts and uh, even red meat and things like that. But then you have to balance the, you know, if you eat too much red meat, is that good for your heart? The answer is no. Uh, so there's, there's all kinds of things that you have to um, you have to think about. Plus, the other important thing to remember is that desire is not just about what you put into your system. It's there's too many factors that affect our desires. So if I'm, if, if I'm in a, in a bad relationship or I'm in a, a period of conflict with my partner and I eat a ton of oysters said to increase my libido, it isn't going to do anything for me because I'm no, not more going to want to have, uh, I'm not no more going to have want to have sex with my partner who I'm angry with. It doesn't work independently of our mind, which is why it's been so difficult to come up with a pill for women, uh, just a pill for desire, really, um, because it's so complex. Desire is determined far more with what goes on in your brain than what goes on in your genitals. Yes, you can you can eat things and you can maintain a good diet that will help circulate the blood, which helps the arousal part, but the desire and the arousal are two separate things. So it might uh, open up the blood vessels, but you need to trigger the blood vessels to open with your, uh, with your desire. So it doesn't matter if you do all of this, but your brain isn't, isn't in it. So there you have it. Uh, I just tried oysters again a few weeks ago. I had a couple, no big deal. My friend ate a couple of dozen and he was sick for two days. Yeah. He probably wasn't all that sexual if he was sick for that long. Another text writes, the amino acid L-arginine found in foods such as pumpkins, walnuts, and beef is converted to nitric oxide in the body, which increases blood flow. Yes. So there are many things that you, look, I'm not, I am no scientist in that respect and no chemist and, or biologist or anything like that. Um, I'm reporting to you things that I have read and just sharing, you know, just sharing information. So I appreciate when you have information you want to share as well. Again, eating things, having a healthy diet, think about it, like eating pumpkins, that's a, that's a good vegetable, uh, walnuts, not so sure about the beef and if you eat it in moderation for sure, but all of these things are, it's what's good for general blood flow, general blood flow. So anything you do that's good for your health will naturally help you in the bedroom. And I think that's the bottom line rather than looking for the Holy grail of something, uh, that's not where the answer lies. It really, really isn't. So 
let's all just keep healthy and work uh, work on that especially now during these times it's it's harder to get to the gym or, or gyms aren't open but you know you've got to still get out there you still have to think about maintaining a healthy uh, lifestyle even though it is I, uh, I'll admit much more challenging uh, during these times. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. Uh, if you have questions for me, please send them along anytime uh, by email or at the beginning of every show, and I'll be very happy to answer you. Uh, Lori at drlori.com is my email address. Uh, thank you to Nicole Proano, our technical producer tonight. You can find any of the past shows, podcasts on my website at drlori.com. You can also find them on the iHeart app if you go to the CJAD show page. Coming up next here on CJAD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.